close to the end of 1 John. Can you believe that? It's only a couple weeks away before we finish this wonderful book. Amen. In fact, we're... <laughs> what are you, which part are you amening there, Kevin? Amening the journey or amening the end of the journey? Oh, okay, the journey, okay. We'll take it. Uh, yes, we, ha- we actually, it's time so that, Lord willing, we'll finish right at the end of October with this beautiful book. So we have a couple lessons left over if you want to make your way over to 1 John chapter 5. We do have Bibles for those who need them right back in the bookshelf. You're willing to use those Bibles or take them. Uh, you can keep those Bibles if you want, and you can f- turn to 1 John 5 and follow along with us. It's the same version I'm preaching from, uh, the English Standard Version. The series, of course, has been called for His glory and for our benefit, and that is our bottom line as a church, is to glorify God's great name in all things, everything we do, whether it be preaching or Wednesday or the children's ministries or all the ministries or the fall festival, is to glorify the great name of our Father, the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfully, though, God does not leave us alone. In fact, we're going to talk about that, how we're never alone. He's, he's going to look out for our benefit in all things. In 1 John 5, 1 John, the book of 1 John has been all about God benefiting his people by glorifying his great name. And I think that's a beautiful relationship that we've been able to see. The lesson title today is going to be called Never Alone. And we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. Never Alone. And we'll get there here in a minute. But before we get there... What would be the hardest things to do alone? If you could make a list of things that would be very hard to do alone, what would be on your list? Well, I came up with a list of things that I believe are really hard and near impossible to do alone. And I just want you to think about these things. I want you to think about doing these things alone and how complicated that would be. Number one, ping pong. (laughs) Could it be done? You'd have to be really fast. Really agile. Are Are you willing to show us? Oh, against the wall. But that's not real ping pong, is it? Well, but that's a creative way to do it. Okay. So she's saying it can be done. I want to see the real deal, though. I want to see someone run around the table and hit their own ball back and forth. Tennis would also be funny. Uh, Here's another one that's hard to do alone, a relay race. Could it be done? Maybe, but it would look really weird to hand the baton to yourself and to run the same race over and over. Here's number three, texting. Now, I don't know if I totally agree with this one because you guys might know I have two phones. I have a personal phone and I have a church cell phone and I'm one of those dorks that carries both. So sometimes if I'm feeling really lonely, I'll text myself a funny meme and then crack up at how funny I am. No, I don't really do that. That'd be weird if I did that. I don't really do that, people. Here's number four hard thing to do alone is to get into an argument. Anyone ever done that? Got into an argument with yourself? Really, Elizabeth, have you? Yeah. I think I've done it once in the car. Um, one time I got angry with myself in a car and someone drove by and saw me arguing myself. That was an awkward thing. I think it's possible. I think it's very hard to get in an argument with yourself. Here's number five, and I think I told you I do this with my kids at home, a puppet show. To have a puppet show, you sort of need an audience, right? And uh, if my wife walked down the stairs one day and saw me doing a puppet show with no kids, it's time to call somebody. Something's wrong with Pastor Dud. Here's number six hard thing to do alone is a practical joke. Think about it. Who's the joke on? Yourself? That'd be an interesting one to try. Number seven is hide and seek. What should it be named? Hide only. Because you will not be sought. Number eight, I think number eight's my favorite one, is a food fight. A food fight. You guys remember the Three Stooges? The pie fights and the Three Stooges? I want to see someone do that totally alone. Pie, right? <laughs> That's right, Estelle. Maybe we'll do that at the fall festival. Singular pie fights. Here's number nine, preaching. Preaching is tough to do alone. Again, if you see me preaching up here one day to nobody, time to call somebody, okay? Pastor Todd's lost it. And number ten, hard thing to do alone is a surprise party. Very hard to do alone. Could it happen? Maybe. Maybe. You ever tried to surprise yourself? It's tough to do. Hard things to do alone. Well, I think one of the hardest things to do alone, maybe the hardest thing to do alone, and thankfully we don't have to, and that's what we're going to talk about today, is following Jesus. Following Jesus is near impossible, I would even say impossible to do on your own. And thankfully, as we're going to learn today from 1 John 5, we're never alone. And we sang about that today, and we're going to continue to teach about that. So if you have your Bibles, join me in 1 John chapter 5 as we read this exact thing from the Word of God. John says this. This is a verse we looked at a little bit last week, so this is a little bit of an overlap. 
John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Never alone. Last week we talked about the greatest gift of all time. We talked about the gift of eternal life. What an amazing gift that is, that God came in the form of Jesus Christ, that man uh, put on human flesh to become what we needed him to be, which is a sacrifice for our sins. And he died and he rose again three days later to give us the greatest gift of all time, which is the gift of eternal life with God. And so we want to use these verses last week to support what John is telling us this week in an effort to keep this in context. So let's read the verses we looked at last week to support what we're learning today. John says in verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So John's going to teach us today about never being alone. And this is our three-point outline today. Number one, a future hope. Number two, a present help. And number three, a faithful friend. Let's first talk about a future hope. I love when there's passages that almost preach them, preach it themselves. And this is one of these passages today. It came out so naturally, and I'm thankful for that. You ever look forward to something? Now, based on who you are, what age category you're in, this could either be really exciting or really terrifying. Um, when you have eight kids, this is a little terrifying to know that we're... Now, this was yesterday. We're 70 days exactly from Christmas. And uh, that's a little terrifying to know. But for kids, this is incredibly exciting. My kids have already started the countdown to Christmas, and so they're already looking forward, because that's the next big thing, right? After fall and all the exciting colors, the next thing you kind of really look forward to, besides the fall festival, they're really excited for the fall festival, <laughs> but is the Christmas countdown. And my kids are already looking forward, making their lists, and writing, writing down ideas that their parents or Santa want to get them. But... For, for adults, we have something a little bit different to look forward to, right? Uh, some of you have looked forward to this. Some of you are experiencing this right now. But uh, some of you look forward to retirement, right? And what's interesting, and we'll go back to this one, is when you're looking forward to something like Christmas or retirement, is it helps you do hard things, doesn't it? I remember when I was a kid and December, the month of December came and Thanksgiving was passed and it was now December, all the lights were up. The tree had been set, and everything was about Christmas for the whole month. And I remember being very excited about that concept, and, and remember December being a very fun month. No matter what happened in December, there was joy. There was joy around every corner, because I knew Christmas was only a few days away, and my kids are much the same. My kids look so much forward to Christmas that once it gets close enough, they're not so much bothered by all the things that bother them throughout the rest of the year, because they have something to look forward to, and so it is with adults. Perhaps if you're looking forward to retirement, you can live with a cranky boss for a little while, right? You can live with bad furniture or, or a house that needs fixing up because your sights are set on something, something to look forward to, something that you're excited about. And it helps your day-to-day -day living when there's something grand to look forward to. Isn't that true? I really believe that. And that's why God wants our sights to set, set higher and set upward because we need that motivation, because I believe it's a true statement that when you have to do something hard, such as move a big boulder up a hill, that when you have a motor of hope, that's what I'm going to call it, when there's a motor of hope behind you, that process gets a lot easier. It still is hard. Sometimes we go through hard things as Christians. But when there's something behind us as a motor pushing us and pulling us the other direction, that helps us. That helps us keep the energy in the legs that we need. Well, John says it beautifully in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? You see what he's doing there? He's focusing us on what's to come. He's given us that motor of hope so that you and I can do what is difficult, which is follow the narrow path of following Jesus in a world that doesn't receive Jesus, or Christians, or righteousness, or love. 
And John has told us that we need this motivation called eternal life. And yesterday, we had a really beautiful example of this. I don't know if you can see those pictures. I'll try to zoom in a little bit. But you know what happens when I do this. JP, um, his family's sick, so he's not here today. But JP Hayden, I was, had the privilege of baptizing him yesterday at Echo Lake. And it was a really powerful thing for my soul and my spirit to, to remember the gift of eternal life, to remember someone saying yes to Jesus. He's saying yes to the cost, saying yes to the hardness of following Jesus because of the fact and the truth that God is with him and has given him eternal life. Maybe you can remember back to your own baptism when you said yes to the Lord. Yes, Lord, I will follow you. Yes, Lord, I am yours and you are mine and we're going to do this together. That's a beautiful reminder of every, every single soul who has said yes to Jesus. Because we know on the other side that there's life waiting for us and hope waiting for us and that we're never alone in this life, in this journey. So John says, I write these things to you. And you have to remember, he's talking about the whole book, the whole letter. I write these things to you, chapters 1 through 5. But notice the condition. Who believe in the name of the Son of God? He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who have said yes to Jesus. Yes, I will follow you, Jesus. Yes, I am yours, Jesus. Yes, do with me as you please, Jesus, because you died for me. You paid for my sins on the cross, and therefore I am yours, Jesus. I remember saying that as a... Mid-twenty-something young man saying yes to the Lord. I will do whatever you ask me to do because I am captured by your love for me. So John is saying, I want to give you the hope of eternal life, but there is something you must do first. In order to have that hope, you must have the faith to say yes to Jesus, that you are the Son of God, you are the Christ, and you are worthy of my life. And I know many in this room have done that, have said yes to Jesus. You have my life from now until the end. And that's a powerful thing to know. We all like doctors with bedside manner, though, don't we? You guys ever had a doctor who doesn't have bedside manner? It just kind of tells you the blunt truth. Ouch, that hurts. And we want a doctor to come alongside of us and tell us what we need to hear, but in a gentle, calming way. Well, First John has been sort of a blunt book. And I knew that going in, but it was, I'm always shocked a little bit by how blunt and straightforward First John is when I read it, going, he's not really mincing any words. He's not pulling any punches. Whatever phrase you want to use, he's telling us right between our eyes what we need to hear. And I found this quote, which I don't know if you agree with it or not, but I, found it, I thought it was interesting. It says, bedside manners are no substitute for the right diagnosis. Isn't that interesting? That we want bedside manners. We want someone to tell us gently what we need to hear. But at the end of the day, we want someone to heal us. We want someone to give us the right treatment. We want someone to tell us what we need to do and what we need to have in order to get better. Well, First John is that book. First John, if you go through chapters 1 through 5, and I've encouraged you along the way to read it once a week, and if you've done that practice, you've noticed that along the way, that John hits you right between the eyes. He doesn't say it harshly, but he tells you exactly what you need to hear, what you need to believe, what you need to order your life with, what you need to obey, and I'm thankful for that about First John. My screen is flipping out on me here. Because he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, and this is what John wants us to have wants us to know that we have, is eternal life. John, for his readers, wants them to have the, that motor of hope behind them because he knows they need it. He wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter what happens in this life, as long as we line up behind Jesus Christ, we're alive forevermore. We're with God forevermore. God is watching over our soul forevermore. And that is a tremendous motor that I, as a pastor, need because sometimes you get into the trenches of life or the trenches of ministry. And, and sometimes you just all you see is the difficulty. All you see is the hard things. And you forget what you're doing it for. You forget why you're doing it. You forget the motor that's behind you. And so John comes alongside of us today and says, don't forget. These things that I've wrote to you, all, all these things in 1 John are for your benefit so that you may know that you have eternal life with God. And you can be certain of that. Now we all love days like this, don't we? Um, even if you're a fall fan or a winter fan, we all love sunny days. I don't know anybody who looks at a sunny day and says, oh, another sunny day. <laughs> Generally, it's the opposite, right? When we see a sunny day, it boosts our spirit. We want to go outside. We want to sit on our porch. 
That's kind of the ideal world, is that we could live where, where it's always this way. It's always sunny. It's always pick your favorite temperature. And, but you always want the sun to be shining, right? Because sometimes life looks like this, doesn't it? Sometimes it's bleak, gloomy, gray, dreary, whatever word you want to use. Life isn't always sunny and your favorite temperature. Sometimes, and I'm not even just referring to the weather, sometimes life feels bleak. Life feels like it's not on your side. Life feels hard and lonely and uphill. And I feel that way. And I know you guys feel that way from time to time. And that's sad because that's not our ideal world. But this happens even spiritually. In fact, we read a psalm from Psalm 121, uh, where the psalmist is boasting in how much God is and does for him. But even the psalmist in Psalm 59 understands that sometimes life is bleak. Sometimes life is hard. And he writes this in the first part of Psalm 59. He says, deliver me from my enemies. There are enemies in the Christian life, aren't there? There are people who want to keep us down. People that want to turn us back. People that want to discourage us. People that want to question us. People that want to disregard our Lord and his many promises. And the psalmist says to his Lord, deliver me from my enemies, O God, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. The psalmist is writing about something rather bleak. That in the Christian life there are enemies. In the Christian life there are hurdles. In the Christian life there are obstacles. In the Christian life there are just attacks. Just for being a Christian. For saying yes to Jesus Christ. For following Jesus Christ. Did I spell bleak right, by the way? Is anyone bothered by that? Is it E-E-K? I nailed it? Excellent. Every now and then I get it right. I look at that and I'm questioning that. I know, it looks funny. It looks funny, doesn't it? The E looks So it's my, hand, it's my penmanship? <laughs> well, life, and I, I'm going to tell you as from, from a pastor, pastors go through this. And, and I don't know what the psalm is exactly refer, referring to. I haven't done the digging. But, but I, I, t- I can tell you firsthand experience that pastors face this on a regular basis. It feels like everything is against you. It feels like everyone's coming for you feels like the devil himself will not be satisfied with anything less than your demise. And every day seems like a battle. Every day feels like it's an uphill climb. And if that's the way the psalm ended, that would be very depressing, wouldn't it? But it's not. If you keep reading Psalm 59, the psalmist says this in verse 16, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing your praise, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Can you say that as well? In spite of how bleak life feels sometimes, we could sing of God's strength that is given to us. We could sing of his steadfast love that he shows us on a faithful, without break basis. We could sing of him being a fortress and a refuge for us in the day of trouble. We could sing praises to our God who shows us steadfast love. Steadfast means without quit, without fail. Our God shows us love every single day of our life, whether we deserve it or not. And there are many days that I don't deserve his mercy. Many days that I don't deserve his grace and his love, but he shows it to me anyways because of his nature because of his promises, and because of his great love for me through Jesus. And that takes the bleak days and brings the sun out. That my God is with me no matter what this life throws at me. We looked at this on Wednesday, if you were here, this passage from Romans 8 where Paul says this to the church, and he meant it. Paul meant it. If you've read his life, read his missionary journeys, read how he was writing from the dungeons that he was in, You believe this about Paul because Paul said this in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The present sufferings are real. The present sufferings are painful. And he's he's not lessening them, saying they're not a big deal. That you're making it too big. You're making it too grand. 
He's saying there's something on the other side that far surpasses anything that we're going to suffer with here on earth. In fact, they so far surpass the sufferings we're facing here on the earth. They're not even a good comparison. Who's a hiker? Let's see the hikers in the room. You guys will understand this analogy, won't you, if you're a hiker? Because hiking can be hard. And I have to go by what people tell me because I haven't hiked a lot. But I will one day. And hiking can be hard. It can bring, you know, abdominal pain, shin splints, fatigue, all kinds of things that bother you. And maybe along the journey, on, on a really hard hike, you just want to give up and say, why am I doing this? And then you get to the viewpoint. You get to the vantage point. You get to the top of the summit. And you start to forget the pain, don't you? And you start to realize how glorious the top of the hike is, how the top of the mountain is. And you start to lose lose sense of the difficulty and the pain that you once felt because the two aren't even a good comparison. The pain that you felt hiking versus the beauty and the glory of what you're experiencing at the top of the mountain are not a good comparison. And that makes this worth it. That's kind of how the Christian life feels. It's kind of like a hard hike. It's a long, tedious hike with many enemies, many hurdles, Many obstacles along the way. And at times we just go, why am I doing this? Why? If I went back to my old life, it would be so much easier. If I gave up this Christianity, more people would like me. I'd have more friends. I might be richer. I might be happier. It might be easier for me. Why am I doing this? And this is John telling us today, it's going to be worth it. It's going to be well worth it. In fact, Paul says it's not even worth comparing. Once you experience the glory on the other side, you will never ever think and dwell upon the difficulty that brought you here. You will simply look at the glory in awe and say, how did I get here? And you will praise the Lord who made it all possible. Thank you, Jesus, for getting me up that mountain. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you believe? In the name of the Son of God. Because it must be Jesus. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus could make that hike even possible for sinners. Let alone the glory at the top that we'll experience. How in a world could I be there in heaven with the holy God? I know who I am. I know what I've done. How could I even be invited on the hike? Let alone the glory at the top of the mountain. Only Jesus. Only Jesus could make that possible. The one who is God, who is the Son of God, who came and spilled his blood so that his creation could spend an eternity with him. Are you thankful for Jesus? Amen. Who made it all possible. So no matter what you're facing in this hour, this day, this week, this month, this year, no matter the trials that have been thrown at you, as bleak as your life seems, we must remember that Jesus wins and that one day life will not be bleak anymore. We know those who have been passed on into glory, right? Their life is not bleak anymore, ever again. It's glory forevermore. And one day, if we continue to follow Jesus, we will experience that glory on the other side. And John's telling us, keep going. Keep going. Keep making that hike. Because you're never alone, and the glory at the top of the mountain is going to be worth it. That's our future hope. Let's talk about our present help, because John brings that up as well. Now, we have kind of a strange problem in our culture, don't we? You guys ever heard the quote, good help is hard to find? Yeah. Ever heard that quote? Well, it actually is now in our culture. I've seen these signs all over Littleton and Bethlehem and the surrounding towns, right? Help wanted, help wanted, help wanted. Because the help, help is hard to find. People don't seem to want jobs like they used to. What an amazing problem to have. There's so many jobs. <laughs> if you ever lose your job, don't fret. You'll get one that afternoon. Because everyone's hiring. In fact, I've seen some strange signs out there that make me question what's going on. Uh, this is a Garrity's. I don't know. We had a supermarket called Garrity's in Pennsylvania, and they said uh, they're giving $500 hiring bonus to all part and full and part-time people who are willing to work at Garrity's. You can get $500 just for showing up for a day. That's an amazing thing. McDonald's is saying they're starting at $15 an hour. They don't care your experience or where you're from or, or whatever your background is. We'll give you $15 an hour just to come and work for McDonald's. And it proves that help is hard to find, isn't it? Even companies who once had too many workers and could pay you minimum wage are now realizing we have to up that because good help is hard to find. Do you ever feel that in your own life? Not with your own job necessarily, but with life itself, that sometimes there's no one to talk to. 
Sometimes no matter what kind of plea you make, no matter what kind of request you have, no matter what difficulty you're going through, is no one understands. Nobody's listening. There's no one to talk to. And that's a sad reality, and that's a reality a lot of people face in this world. In fact, I would say loneliness is one of the biggest difficulties in the Christian race. Feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling that you're on your own, that whatever you face in this life, it's only you who has to overcome these things. And I believe the devil has found a pressure point for many of us, and he's found that pressure point, and he's squeezing it as hard as he can. You're alone, you're alone, you're alone, you're alone. Nobody's with you. Because he knows what will happen if we feel that and feel that continually. We'll give up. We can't handle being lonely that long. We can't handle feeling isolated that long before we question, why am I doing this? So if the devil can make us feel that we're totally alone, he's going to take many of us out of the race, out of the fight, out of serving in the church. And suddenly the church will be much like our requests for children's workers. Please help us. We have no people. We need more people. We'll give you $15 an hour. We won't. Uh, we'll give you $500. We won't. But come help us. And that's sad. That, that's the reality. Because that's, that's a true, true struggle in this life. And I felt it. And it doesn't matter if you're around a lot of people. You could feel loneliness around a lot of people. Did you know that? You could feel loneliness while incredibly busy. Did you know that? You could feel loneliness in every phase of your life. As long as someone doesn't understand what you're going through, you feel lonely. If they don't understand what you face on a day-to-day -day basis, you feel lonely. And you often question, what do I do with this isolation? Because nobody cares. Nobody knows. Well, thankfully that's not the truth because the Word of God tells us different. John says in verse 14, and this is the confidence, notice it, confidence that we have toward Him, our Lord Jesus. That if we ask, notice it, anything according to his will, he hears us. Now it's interesting he said according to his will. He put a qualifier in there because he's not talking about having a grandioso life with a Porsche and a yacht and a mansion, right? And six-figure salary. He's not talking about anything like that. He's talking about following Jesus. He's made that abundantly clear through the entire book. This is about following Jesus. This hike that we're making is for Jesus. It's because of what he's done for us. It's because he's worthy of the hike. And so John says, this is the confidence we have towards Jesus. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Jesus knows the difficulty because he's been in the trenches that we're in right now. And I love that about our Lord. As I can say to the Lord, Lord, you know what I'm dealing with. You've been there. You've seen the struggles. You've seen the pain. You've felt the difficulty. You've felt the attacks. And Lord, I need help. I need your help. And John says, have confidence that when you cry out to that Jesus, that Jesus hears you. Especially when you're on the hike that he placed you on for his glory and for your benefit. And Hebrews 4 says this thing almost verbatim. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, we do not have a high priest. He's referring to Jesus who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest who's unable. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses because that would be a high priest disconnected from this life. We would be here, our high priest would be up there, and he'd go, listen, I don't know what you're dealing with, but good luck. Get up the mountain, do whatever you have to take. We don't have that high priest. Hebrews says, but we have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He faced every enemy you could possibly face, including loneliness, maybe even especially loneliness. And he conquered them all. Every foe that came before him, he overcame, he conquered. But he faced them all. So that when we come to Jesus and we're earnest saying, Jesus, I'm struggling, Jesus, I'm weak, Jesus, I'm attacked, Jesus goes, I know, I've been there, I've seen it, and I validate that you are struggling. But I also know one thing, I'm with you, and I've overcome every enemy there is. I've overcome loneliness. I've overcome sin. I've overcome those who have attacked you. I've overcome my own flesh and the temptations within. I've overcome every possible enemy, including the devil himself. 
And the devil tried really, really hard with Jesus to take him down. But Jesus conquered all. And that is the high priest that we have who can say to us, you're never alone. I know and have won. And I can help you win as well. That's a beautiful reminder and promise. So Jesus gives us these promises. If you ask anything in my name in John 14, I will do it. Think about what an investment it is for Jesus to help us get up the hike that he put us on. For the glory that he's going to experience when his church conquers the devil on the last day. He's going to give us every resource available so that we can get up that mountain because that's a good investment for him to help us make the climb and the hike that he put us on. And he tells us in Hebrews, come boldly to the throne of grace. <coughs> Not sheepishly. Can I get a little bit of Jesus? Just a little bit of grace? Just a fraction of mercy? Can I just get a little bit of an ounce of strength? And Jesus says, come child. Come get it. Bust the door down. Kick the door down and say, Father, I need you. And I need you for your sake. I need you for Jesus' sake. I need you to climb the mountain. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it because you're never alone. Another psalm, Psalm 91. We're reading a lot of psalms here today, but I think they sort of illustrate what we're talking about today. The psalmist says in Psalm 91, because he has loved me. And this time, we're talking about our love for Jesus. Often we talk about his love for us, but the psalmist is referring, almost speaking from Jesus' vantage point. And the promise is this, because he has loved me, therefore, notice it, I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Amen? I mean, you could pick apart this psalm right there and be blessed forevermore. I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. What is the Lord making abundantly clear? You're not alone. You're never alone. When the devil tells you you're alone, answer back with Psalm 91, 14 to 16. That cannot be true because my Lord said he loves me. He will deliver me. He will set me securely on high. He will answer my prayers. He will be with me in trouble. He will rescue me and honor me. He will satisfy me. <coughs> Christian, you're not alone. You're never alone. The Lord is with us. Even though we can't tangibly see him and tangibly touch him, he's here right now helping us, letting us see the truth that he loves us and loves us deeply. We've talked about a future hope and a present help. Now let's talk about a faithful friend. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a funny picture. Um, I think this is actually a practical joke gone wrong. Um, you guys ever done a trust fall? Yeah, you better be know that the person behind you is really trustworthy because it doesn't look like that guy's into it. But sometimes doesn't life feel this way? That, that you need someone to fall on, you need someone to trust, and no one's dependable. No one's really there when you need them. That as long as you do your job, you're fine. But as long as, if you ever get sick, if you ever get tired, if you ever get weary, there's no one to depend upon. There's no real faithful friends in this life. That's another attack the devil gives us. That if you fall backwards, you're going to fall and get hurt. But this is, an actually a, this is actually a problem here in New Hampshire. And it's a problem here in our whole world, our whole country. But I found this stat which actually really made me very sad. Because New Hampshire is higher than the average opioid overdose in the nation by a pretty good margin. The average is 24.7. In New Hampshire, it's 28.4 overdose death rate per 100,000 people. That means they're turning to something because they believe they have no one. <laughs> They feel they're alone. They feel there's no faithful friends, so they're going to go find something that makes them feel better. And that's a truly tragic stat. Truly tragic. And I believe this is why the gospel has to shine. This is why the gospel has to go into the darkness. Because that's a lie. God, one of his names, one of Jesus' names is the name Emmanuel. Do you know what that name means? 
God is with us. And he didn't just say it from heaven going, just believe me. He came down from heaven to show us. You're not alone. You're never alone. And when, the wor- when you were in the worst case you possibly could be, steeped in sinfulness, waiting condemnation, that's when Jesus came. When the things were as worse as they possibly could be. And now that we're on the hike, do you think God's going to abandon us now? The answer is absolutely not. So the gospel must shine because the gospel is the only hope this world needs is to know that God is with them and God is with us at all times. Because depression is on the rise. Anxiety is on the rise. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And I, I find that interesting because we have more knowledge today, more things to make us strong today, more social connections, even on the internet, more ways to never feel alone, and yet we are feeling more alone than we've ever felt before. And the sad reality is that we're trying to replace the gospel message with anything and everything else, the only thing that can't satisfy us, and replacing it with the only thing that can satisfy us. So John says once again, if we know that we, if, and if we know that he hears us, in verse 15, in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked from him. He's been using this phrase throughout 1 John, and the idea of it means certain. If we're certain that he hears us, because he just proved that, God hears us, his name is Emmanuel, he came down and went through all the trenches and conquered all the enemies, so that he, we would know that he's with us on the journey. John says, well then we can know for certain that when he hears us, that whatever we ask, we will have the requests that we have asked of him. Isn't that a beautiful promise? That you're not asking in vain. You're not leaving a voicemail and God's never getting back to you. Another promise from Romans chapter 8. And I love the power of this one phrase. Sometimes all you need is one verse to say everything. Paul says, He who did not spare, notice that phrase, did not spare his own son. When we needed a Christ, when we needed a Messiah, when we needed forgiveness, when we needed our sins cleansed and our souls healed, And God had the opportunity to either spare Jesus and condemn us or condemn Jesus and spare us. He did not spare his own son so that he could spare us. Think about that. But he gave him up for us all. And that's the basis for what he's about to tell us. He did not spare his own son when we were steeped in sinfulness, when we were rebelling against our God. He did not spare his own son, but he sent him all. He sent him for us all. And then he says this, how will he not also, along with him, give us all things? Do you notice that? Because he gave us the biggest possible gift he could ever give us in Jesus. That was the hardest thing for God to surrender, his only begotten son. But he did it. And he would do it again. And then when we have requests along the way of the hike and we go up to God and say, God, I need this, God, I need that, God's going to go, of course, I will give you that. Don't you remember I gave you my son? I gave you Jesus. Everything else is small potatoes. If I gave you Jesus, I will give you everything you need. And I mean everything you need. I will not withhold anything from you. Jesus said this himself in Luke 11. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, speaking to me, a father of eight, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? That would be silly. To a son who asks you for a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. A good father would never do such a thing. Child, do you want a fish? Child, do you want an egg? Too bad, you're going to get a serpent and a scorpion instead. A good father would never do that. If you then, who are evil, because we are by nature, all of the fathers and mothers here upon this earth, start evil, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more will the heavenly father good and righteous and holy and loving in all that he does, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And you have to understand, when you get the Holy Spirit from God, you get everything. You get divine help. 
The Holy Spirit represents God's divine help from heaven. So what could we ask greater than the Holy Spirit? The answer is nothing. If God gives us the Holy Spirit to make the hike, we're going to make the hike. Because that is God's divine help given to mankind. And so he says, come child, ask, seek, and knock. And another promise from Philippians chapter 4, verses 19. It says, and my God will meet or supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And I once heard a sermon where a guy was speaking on this phrase, and he says, I need you to understand the difference between out of and according to. He says, if God says, I'll meet all your needs out of my riches, that means I'll give you a portion of it, a fraction of it, a sampling of it. God, can I have a little bit of mercy? Yes, I'll give you 164th mercy. But when it says according to his riches, you get it all. You get everything. Everything you need to the absolute maximum in order to meet the trial that is before you. Jesus says, according to how rich I am, I will give it to you. According to that, according to that standard of how rich God is, how rich and powerful Jesus is, he will give us that kind of help that we need in order to accomplish what we need to. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Not out of, according to. The pantry is yours. Come and open it and take exactly what you need for the journey. And in Hebrews 13.5, the writer of Hebrews says, He himself, the Lord, has said this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now the devil tells us the opposite. So only one can be right. Either the devil is right when he says, listen, you're all alone. This is your hill to climb on your own. No one's there for you. No one understands. It's you and you alone. And then the Lord says, no, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Only one of them can be right. And of course, we know who that is. The God who can never break his promise. The God who can never tell a lie versus the father of lies, the devil. Of course, the Lord is telling the truth. That all, even those times you felt the most lonely, the most isolated, you never were. You never were. It was simply a mirage from the devil. The Lord has been there every single moment of every single day in every single trial for every single foe we've ever faced. And he will be going forward. And to me as a pastor who faces many trials and difficulties, that is a blessing to understand that God is with me wherever I go. What's the point? We've talked about three powerful truths. I think this is the point because you've noticed this along the way. You've noticed according to his will. You've noticed whoever believes in Jesus. You've noticed the Holy Spirit. And John is making it abundantly clear that God's going to give us whatever we need, but it has to be according to his will. Because this life is not about us. This life is not about acquiring treasures. It's not about getting rich or satisfied or successful. This life that we've been put on is about accomplishing the task before us. We're on mission. We're on mission for God, all of us, to do his will, to take his light to the darkness. Every single one of us is on mission, if you believe in Jesus. And the question we have before us today is, what can we accomplish for God if he's always with us? I mean, think about that question. What can we accomplish for God if God is always with us? I brought this up before as an illustration, but I think that's the courage that David had when he entered into the fight with Goliath. If it was David versus Goliath, that's a really mismatched fight. I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, encourage you, David, to go anywhere near the giant. But David saw it the other way. Well, it's not me going before the giant. It's God going before the giant. When I go, God goes with me. And now it's God versus Goliath. Now Goliath's in trouble. He completely t reversed the picture, turned the tables, flipped the script on the giant. And the giant fell down that day because David was so strong? No. Because David was so equipped? No. Because God went with him. And God can take down any enemy. Any enemy. And everything, whether on earth or in heaven, one day will bow the knee to Jesus and will confess that you are Lord and that's the God that is with us today. So the question is, what can we accomplish for God if he's always with us? And the answer is anything and everything. Anything and everything. We have this very strange victim mentality that's going on in our culture. 
where everyone is beaten down and everyone wants a reason and a justification for, for be, feeling beat down. This is why I can't get up. This is why I can't go forward. This is why I'm struggling. And you'll understand because this is why, this is what I've been through. And we do understand, of course we understand because we don't know everyone's trials and struggles. But I also know this to be truth. That if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us and he is with Jesus, who can stand against us? And the answer is nothing, nobody. Never, ever on God's watch will there ever be a foe that he can't overcome. In other words, rise, Christian, and go forward. Rise, Christian, and ascend. Rise, Christian, keep walking, keep hiking, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Paul, I think, was the best example of a person who understood this. Now, we take Philippians 4.13 and we take it out of context a lot. And it's a beautiful verse. And it can apply to several things. But I think it's best to keep these things in context. Because Paul was a man who took his entire life and gave it for the gospel. And that got Paul in a lot of hot water. A lot of people didn't like Paul. A lot of people wanted Paul dead, wanted him in prison, dragged him to the streets, beat him, stoned him, told him to never teach about the name of Jesus again, and threw him in dungeons so that he would shut up. And so Paul says in Philippians 4.12, I know how to be brought low. I know what it's like to be low. I know what it's like to be very, very low. I mean, you have to understand, jails then and jails now are not the same. These were dungeons. He didn't have bathrooms. He didn't have food. He didn't have clothing. He didn't have friends. He was there in the darkness all by himself. And Paul says, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. I've been up as well. In any and every circumstance, and he's not using hyperbole, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I know how to have a lot. I know how to have nothing. I know how to be blessed. I know how to be cursed. I know how to have a lot of friends. I know how to be abandoned. And I know the secret of facing every situation with contentment. What is it, Paul? What is it? Tell us what it is. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul would say it wasn't me. It wasn't me in that dungeon alone. It wasn't me in those streets being dragged through the streets alone. It wasn't me standing before the enemy alone. Jesus was with me. Paul, how did you do it? I didn't do it. He did it through me. I did all things through Christ who strengthens me. It wasn't my strength. It couldn't have been my strength. I did things no man is capable of. And I went on a journey no man is capable of finishing. And yet I finished the fight. I ran and struggled the entire time, but somehow I found strength. How, Paul? How did you do it? I found him. And I was never alone. I was never alone. Is that your theme today? We are down. We are against. Many people want us down. Many people want us off the path. Many people want us to quit. Many people want us to abandon Jesus Christ. Many people want us to fail. And yet here we are on another Sunday plowing forward. Why? I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Therefore, our application today is very simple. Look forward to your future hope. Look forward. Keep your eyes heavenward. Paul said in Colossians 3, set your eyes on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Does anyone when they're hiking look backwards? Is that a good idea? No, you always look forward to what the next step is and where you're going. Look forward to your future hope, your eternal life with God. Number two is seek your present help. Because it's an ever-present help. And every time we reach out and every time we call out for that help, we will be heard and we will be answered according to the promise of God. And number three, trust your faithful friend. <coughs> that he's always there. He's always watching out for you. Every time you fall, he'll catch you and he'll pick you up and send you on your way. And it's all for this, to do God's will. This is not the prosperity gospel we're talking about today. This is the effort that we're doing here today to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in everything he tells us to do. 
And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you understand that call. You've surrendered your life. Jesus says those who abandon their life now will find it. For Jesus, for God, by giving their life over to Jesus. Have you given yourself to do the will of God yet through Jesus? Because when you do, you will have God's ever-present help. You will never be alone in that fight. And you will make it to the top of the mountain by God's grace, for God's glory, forevermore. Amen. Amen. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father in heaven, I reach out to you now, and I thank you. We should thank you all the time, Father. As Colossians says, abound in thanksgiving. Abound in it. Count your blessings. Name them one by one, Father. We are so blessed. We are not cursed. We are not struck down. We are not abandoned. We are not destroyed. Father, the Lord goes with us wherever we go. And where we go is up the mountain of God's will. Father, I pray for this church. I pray for myself. As all of us are striving up that mountain to remember one thing and one thing clearly, Father, we do not do so alone. And if we do so alone, we're already doomed. We go in the strength that you supply. We go with the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered all battles, overcome all foes, accomplished every victory. Father, I pray for the souls in this room. I don't know where the souls are. I don't know if they're in the faith, in the race, or curious, or maybe they hate it. And they want to stand against it, Father. But I pray for every soul in this room, wherever they are, that they understand that Jesus is going to win. Jesus is going to win. He is going to win. And that, Father, if we want to be on his team, we can be this very day. And if we are on this team, then we can go forward and we must go forward because the Lord Jesus is with us every step of the way. Father, bless Crossroads Church as we go forward with many things to accomplish for your glory, including the fall festival. We want your blessing over this church, not for our namesake, Father, but for yours. We love you, and we thank you for your great love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.